City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, City Limits, and it's the third Wednesday of the month, therefore we're doing housing today, and we're going to be talking to Shane McGrath from the Housing with the Aged Action Group pretty shortly in the program, and later on we're going to be talking to Catherine Murdoch and Jack, uh, public housing tenants and activists, and they'll be talking about lots of issues to do with. There was an interview last week, actually, on um, International Women's Day on this program with um, Karina talking to Catherine, and it was a very good interview about housing issues, etc., Juliet Fox is currently in the studio. Karina is obviously running late. She's due to she's due here. She's uh, she'll be here hopefully very shortly indeed. And um, the big test, of course, when Juliet Fox is sitting there is getting a word out of her. Are we going to get a word? No. <laughs> we, let's see. I'm going to pour myself a cup of tea to kick off with. Here we go, just just for the hell of it. <clears throat> and there we are, a cup of tea. Um, <clears throat> now, Juliet. Uh, we we were talking in the kitchen. Well, no, I'll go back to International Women's Day because I think it was interesting last week uh, that uh, the the mainstream media uh, covered it in a quite different way. Um, the Financial Review had a lift, a glossy lift out about women to watch in the future, etc. And they had another lift out inside women to watch all these women who are going to make it in capitalism. One of them was sponsored by the Review itself and by a mob called WB, which is Women on Boards, and it was all about getting women onto boards to be bosses and run things. And it was also sponsored by Pimble Girls uh, School, Pimble Girls, whatever it's called, one of the no, Pimble Ladies, in fact, Pimble's Ladies College, which is uh, one of the elite schools in Sydney. And, uh, in fact, it had a section where three of the Pimble ladies uh, talked about what they'd do when they made it to the top and how they'd be as good capitalists. So it was really good stuff. Um, and the Herald Sun came up with one. It had the, the, the Power, Power 100, the most influential women in Aussie sport. So uh, we now see that uh, what – and this station, unfortunately, kept referring to, to it as International Working Women's Day simply because that's how it started out. I mean, now we know uh, that, you know, it, it's not. It's now International Capitalist Women's Day, Women on Boards Day, Women in Sport Day. But what I found really interesting, because the Women in Sport lift out was sponsored by Harvey Norman, and so we had Katie Page, who's the partner of Jerry Norman, uh, and who's also in her own right to all these businesses, uh, with a with a, a lovely piece about how women should get involved in sport and how good it all is. And Katie... Um, then turned up as, when they listed the 100, number three in Australia, influential women in sport, was Katie. There she was. But the best one, and I'm going to have a sip of tea before I tell you this one, guess who lobbed at number nine as the most influential women in sport? Think of people out there, you know, on the track, in the pool, training madly, getting their bodies fit and ready to go uh, for the big event. Who uh, can come in at number nine, do you think, uh, Juliet? You're going to have to speak, aren't you, if you want to answer that? 
Well, you're just nodding your head and so you don't know. It was Gina, Gina Reinhardt, number nine in Australian sport, influential. Because <laughs> Gina pours so much money into it. <laughs> so there you are. You can, uh, you can think, listen to that one. It's just wonderful news. In fact, I'll hand it. You can read it if you like. Have a look at it. There you are. You can check it out. Number nine, Gina. So that's it. And speaking of... Uh, appropriating other events um, as, as, as capitalism has now appropriated International Women's Day. Um, you're f- interesting to note that this week also we had Labor Day on Monday. Now, Labor Day many, many years ago used to be a Labor Day march in Melbourne with union floats and union activity and workers, and it was a, it was a big event. And certainly since the demise of unions, thanks to Hawke and Keating and the uh, the Accord, um, certainly unions aren't as powerful as they were, but nonetheless, it was taken over many years ago by Moomba, um, which we're told in, in Indigenous language means get together and have fun, although some Indigenous people tell me that it means something much more nasty than that. <laughs> we won't go there. Um, but it too has been taken over, and again, we had stories about how wonderful it was, but no mention of the fact that it was actually Labor Day. Um, and we ought to, and that's another area where, again, a, a, what, what began as a working class um, event has been taken over. And we should pay tribute to a, an old mate of mine from many years ago, he's been dead for many years, a bloke called Jim Simmons, who was a, a union activist in the metal trades and, and, um, and became uh, Minister for, for Industrial Relations in Victorian Government. And um, for many years after, the, after Labor Day was taken over and turned into Moomba, he attempted to revive it a bit by having an event at Edwards Park Lake and Ant Reservoir and uh, hold these events. So good on him. And uh, here's Karina. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, Karina. Uh, so tribute to Jim for all those things he did. He tried years ago and, and keep doing it. Um, we'll move on to, um, I think everyone knows about these nuclear sub-situation. Karina, welcome. Sit down, settle in. You want a cup of tea down and sit and get yourself yes, sorted please. in? I've been thinking about it all morning. All right, okay. Here we go. Pour you a cup. Now, while you're on your feet, I'll reach it over the top of the screen and you can reach it and get it. There you are. It's white tea today, by Thank the way. Thank you so know. much, Kevin. It doesn't Kevin. look white, but... Uh, you do you say that every time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we, just, we just talked about how capitalism took over International Women's Day and uh, last week and appropriated it as a capitalist event rather than an International Working Women's Day, which this station did. Uh, yes, um, I really wanted yeah. to talk about that last week, but I didn't have access to all the pay-per-view, <laughs> Herald Sun and Financial all Reviews. That, that's right. yeah, I well, knew you'd have them. Um, yeah, by the way, on that, your interview last week with Catherine, who'll be on again today, but um, your interview with her last week was very good, so well oh, done. Thanks and it's good to hear, also good to hear Meg's voice on air again, too. Yes, I ex- agree. Ex-co presenters. Um, yeah, good program. I, I rushed back today because I thought, well, if I miss another week, they'll realise they don't need me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here we go. Um, now, we've had this nuclear subs thing, of course, this week, and... Um, uh, we, well, I think we can. We probably, no doubt, we'll mention every other program is going to mention for the next few weeks. Of course, if you're going to spend 360 billion or whatever it is, what you could do with that on public housing and public transport and all the other things that this society needs, education and everything else, uh, and in fact, providing a living uh, wage for those who are out of work, um, which would be you could do very easily with that sort of money. 
Um, but just that last two things leading up to it, headline in last Friday's paper, nuclear subs for peace, not war, Miles Dutton. So there's the two of them totally agreeing that we need to spend $360 million on nuclear-powered submarines so we can have peace. That's not for war at all. Yet if you listen to them... Uh, you might get a quite different opinion to that, <laughs> uh, I would have thought. But anyway, that's that. Although I was saying to Juliet in the kitchen earlier that um, that there has now, there's now a difference between um, the Labor Party and Dutton on this. They've been agreeing absolutely so far, but because Labor's saying, "Well, if we're going to where we're going to make savings to pay for this, we might make some cuts in other areas of defence." And Dutton is right. totally opposed to that. He's now opposing that and saying, no, no, if we're going to have cuts, we have to cut less important things like housing and education and transport and make the doll bludgers bludge a bit more painfully. And all that yeah, a bit, <laughs> bit lower <laughs> than below the poverty line. That's right. Yeah, that's all that stuff, yeah. So it, he's got that one sorted out. But and, and amid it all, like everyone, and this morning again, I heard an interview with um, Penny Wong, and um, she she was uh, just towing the government line totally on this, and, and absolutely. And I was thinking that years ago in the ALP, uh, at least when this sort of thing happened, you'd have a left wing that would make a noise and scream a bit. It would never win the argument but it would scream and yell a bit and, and oppose the whole thing and point out why it's all wrong. But now, across the board, there may be people in there with reservations, but they're not saying it. They don't uh, want to look soft, total. Kevin, it's isn't just, it? It's just total, yeah, it's just total agreement that this is what we have to do. And the, <laughs> the assumption that China is some sort of threat. Now, the, the only counter to that, because everyone's just agreeing with it, the only counter to that came from a bloke called David Livingston, um, he's an ex-diplomat uh, and a specialist in security issues. He had an article in The Age last week or the week before uh, leading up to this uh, saying the report from the Defence Strategic Review has been provided to government but its unavoidable failings are already certain. That is not the fault of the authors. Both Stephen Smith and Angus Euston are intelligent and capable men. Well, Euston's a trained killer. Rather, its deficiencies stem from the lack of scope to critically examine the underlying assessments concerning Australia's strategic environment and the nature of the challenge posed. In this way, the report is neither strategic nor a review. It is a refined shopping list of weapons and platforms that was largely predetermined. Underpinning the document is the premise that China represents an existential military threat. It is not only a given in defence circles, it has the authority of canon law, and to challenge it, even if only in, in the wants, is to be marginalised. That reinforces the shift in missions of the Australian Defence Force from the defence of the continent to fighting far from home. Forward defence, expeditionary forces, the Treasury-breaking nuclear-powered submarines are an example of that, and the focus on long-range strike capabilities, particularly the need to be able to attack China directly, underpin the report's plans for where and how the ADF will prepare to fight for the next several decades. And he goes on and points out that China is not the threat they're making it out to be, etc. But it's one of the few voices that are showing some uh, some self-control in all this. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Sorry, I was just enjoying this white tea. <laughs> okay, you enjoy it. I'll have another sip too. Here we go. This is this is going to be great radio. You have a sip, I'll have a sip. Mm. Mm. <laughs> boy, boy, listeners are so excited about that. Um, the... Um, the 
interesting also, I seeing my house is full of newspapers, I did come upon one this week, <laughs> uh, going way back to 2002. And in the light of the current, what we just talked about, China threat, um, nuclear subs, etc., mm. uh, an article <clears throat> in the Herald Sun on September 5, 2002, uh, Australia is in no hurry to unveil evidence justifying military strikes against Iraq. Prime Minister John Howard last night brushed aside an opposition challenge to match Britain's PM's, British PM Tony Blair's promise to detail the case against Iraq. He will give no knee-jerk response to what the British Prime Minister has said, Mr Howard's office said. Blair has intensified his support for overthrowing Saddam Hussein's regime by vowing to release evidence Iraq is stockpiling weapons of mass destruction, etc. Um, and um, Howard says that we're not committed, which he kept saying right up to the day we actually went to war. And he said if we were committed to military action, he would fully just justify and explain such a position and follow up with a full public debate. Well, that never happened, of course. Never happened. Interesting. I'm looking forward to that one. That's right. Mr Howard said proof of the national interest would be needed before Australia became involved in any military strikes against Iraq. I don't want to see Australian forces go overseas again, he said. Well, my God, he was you know, he was talking war day after day at the, during this period. Um, and... Um, he um, anyway, it goes on, but that's 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 just leading up to that one, and we know what happened there. They went to war. They they proved they showed they had weapons of mass destruction, all that sort of stuff, and it turned out to be a total hundred percent lie. That's right. I'm not um, sure if um, what's what's more bleak that not too much has changed through that through that time, or or whether. You um, found an 11-year-old newspaper in your house, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it was in a file, actually, and um, which I must have cut out at the time. But there you are. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, it, yeah, that, but I thought when I found it, I thought, yeah, I've got to take that down on Wednesday because it, it's so appropriate to what's happening now. Mm. And, uh, the same build-up and the same crap and, of course, the same lies about... Um, if you, you just keep telling lies about the person. I mean, it, it works on the way when you know, they're training um, the trained killers themselves who are mainly just young cannon fodder mm. who, um, you know, who, who love weapons and things. That they forget the fact that someone fires them back at you as well, which is a bit of a problem. But, um, but they, part of the training, of course, is to train you to actually hate the person you're going to kill. Um, that's you know it's part of the psychological training they go through. Mm. You've got to be trained to learn to hate that person, and uh, it's uh, it's very important. And very and, important. and also the same kind of thing towards the public. Hey, <laughs> well, we, yeah, it's that's justified, right. and you'll and you'll get an explanation. Just just hold right. up a Eventually, bit. That's right. And, but war is very <laughs> necessary right now. We'll explain it after it's over, and it's been proven wrong. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> that's right. Very good. Um, now. Uh, I know you'll be thrilled to know, and well, you won't to know, you know, I know you know, know, um, that uh, this weekend uh, the Western Bulldogs will be playing a game of football. Um, oh, yes. The, the real thing. I was wondering where you were going with all the knowing. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, I'm sure you know the Western Bulldogs are playing football this weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, it's worth mentioning. Uh, again, a story in the last couple of weeks. We know about this, of course, but uh, and it's good that a lot of clubs have pulled out. Mm. But four AFL clubs have heaps of pokey machines 
that have extracted about twenty million dollars from the punters, and punters have lost um, well lost over twenty one million and um, for, during six months of last year. Mm. And the four clubs who uh, still have pokies and they actually control six hundred and seventy poker machines are Carlton, Essendon, Richmond, and St Kilda. Two of them play the first game tomorrow night, in fact, don't they? Um, but um, there you are. So it's just worth mentioning as we go into football season that much that there are clubs who are making lots of money out of the misery of people doing their money on poker machines. It's also interesting that there's this like pervasive myth around football where you know clubs survive off membership in a similar way to which you know 3CR survives off subscriptions and Radiothon, but. Mm. It's really maybe it's hangover from the old days of you know community clubs and grassy hills and all of that, but it's um it's interesting to think about like oh you you know you see it justified in in the mainstream with uh, yeah but they're suffering how else are they going to get their money like it's just big it's just big business now that's yeah, all it is unfortunately that's right yeah. and it's still a great game but it's still big business as well so it's. It's a, it's, a, it's a real dilemma, isn't it? Because you look at you look at the clubs, and you know, if the president of every club now um, is some major business person of some sort, you know, who's out there exploiting workers through the week, and then or ex politicians cheering, putting on on Saturday. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, all that stuff. Exactly. Kevin and I are just grinning at each other over the over the microphones because we both <laughs> love footy, but we both can see how evil AFL as an institution is. That's right. It's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. Anyway. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I will be watching it tomorrow night. <laughs> yes. No question of that. Um, now, also, and we'll do more on this next week because we're going to be looking at energy next week, specifically with um, David Spratton. We'll be having a tribute to Will Steppen, the um, the environmental. Um, academic here in Australia who died a few weeks ago. Taking us a while to catch up with that, but it's been circumstantial the way the programs have fallen. But yeah. um, we'll have a we'll play an interview with Will Steppen and then talk to David next week. But interesting to know that the the fossil industry is saying, well, look, we're quite happy to go to uh, renewables. We're quite happy to to do a transition, but we need lots of government help to get there. Uh, so having spent not just eons, having spent decades, having spent centuries in some ways, uh, making a fortune out of polluting the earth and destroying it. Uh, they're now saying if we're going to stop destroying and polluting the earth, we're going to need the government to finance it for us and people to pay for it because we can't pay for it ourselves, having made billions and billions and billions of dollars over the over the journey. But more on that next week, but it's just amazing. Um, and uh, they actually say, uh, one of them, the AGL person says, government funding is most appropriate where the risks are too high uh, for the private sector, which has to put um, more weight on, wait for it, on, go on, you're going to find this hard to believe, on ensuring, um, ensuring economic returns. Uh, yes, that's more weight. So economic returns must take precedence over doing anything about the environment, apparently. And we, but then that doesn't come as a surprise, I don't think, does it? What's the uh, environment ever done for us, Kevin? Oh, damn all. In fact, this morning, right now, if you, if you, if where you ride from, did you ride a bike? No, I caught the train. It was so swampy in there. Ah, well, because I, well, coming, uh, coming through Edinburgh <laughs> Gardens and around North Fitzroy, mm. when you get a, a, a clear view of the city skyline, mm. it was absolutely in mist and fog this morning and... Um, Interesting about the environment, and um, 
as I came across Gertrude Street, but there's a big sign there that tells you the, the time and the, the temperature and those things. It's, it's there now. It's a sign that's gone up fairly recently here. And, and it said um, 18 and fog. It said as temperature and, and, and 18 and fog. So we've got fog this morning in Melbourne. But mm. pleasant morning for a ride, but I'm not sure what I was breathing. Um, yeah, well, inside and outside the train, it felt like a, a jar of breath. Mm. Mm, right. <laughs> well, there you are. All right, look, we'll take a break. We're going to get Shane McGrath on the line. I'm going to talk um, a bit of sense and talk about uh, housing with the Aged Action Group. About damn time. <laughs> The US and the UK under AUKUS are pushing Australia into another imperialist war. At the same time, whistleblowers who expose war crimes are jailed. Come to the rally and march for peace, truth, not war. 18th of March, beginning at 1pm State Library, marching to Treasury Gardens. Help build a people's movement for peace. No AUKUS Roundtable is a 3CR supporter. Melbourne Jazz Jammers present the third Newport Jazz Festival. 50 bands, multiple venues and three days of great music from some of Melbourne's finest musicians, the 21st to the 23rd of April. Trad, swing, blues, big band, Latin, bossa, bebop and beyond. Get your tickets at the Newport Bowls Club box office, Market Street, Newport, or online at melbournejazzjammers.com.au. Let's get the party started at the friendliest festival in the West, Newport Jazz Festival, a 3CR supporter. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses' Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there, broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR. Radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. War on the workers as if the poor capitalists, it's awful. Um, Shane McGrath's on the line, Housing with Age Action Group. Shane, um, speaking of war on, um, did you happen to watch Insight last night on, on SBS at all? Oh, I can't say that I did. Oh, what have I missed? Was it, well, it was about the housing issue. It was mainly about people having difficulty getting into it and rentals and things. But um, what, if you'd watched that, you would have discovered that landlords have as hard a time as tenants, unfortunately, and a lot of landlords are really doing it hard. So um, I just thought I'd mention that to you. Look, if there's anything that I've learned from our media, it's how tough landlords have it. So I uh, can't say that's a surprise to me. No, no, it didn't come as a surprise to me either, but there you are. Uh, the show didn't tell us much we didn't know other than people really are in trouble and struggling. But um, the only right at the very end did an academic mention the word public housing at all um, mm-hmm. as some sort of solution to what they were talking about. Uh, interesting, there was a, an ad um, in the paper 
in the paper last week, Melbourne Retirement Village and Resort Expo, and it's on this weekend at um, Novotel Melbourne Glen Waverley, um, and it says on display will be the latest resort-style developments as well as established villages from many different organisations, all offering a wide range of services and facilities, sizes, prices and locations, all under one roof. This is a wonderful opportunity, etc. And it says, this is, this is the bit that's going to stun you, free admission, Shane, free admission. <laughs> I mean, how can they afford that? The uh, I I fear scared to think the um I I wonder if our uh, action group would be interested in going down to to let some of the retirement housing operators know what they think of them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that'd be good actually. I'll, I want to get to one of those in a minute. I'll ask you a specific. But how's it with the aged action group? Anything from there we want to talk about? I mean, the only thing really is just, you know, and this is just in line with what's all over the mainstream media, whatever I'm listening to this knows, is that it's just really tough at the moment. Like, the the specific work that I do or that my team does, which is helping people who live in retirement housing, you know, who already live in retirement housing with the problems that they're having there, uh, it's as bad as I've seen it. There's so much demand, more demand than we've seen before. Um, I think that operators are really emboldened because they know that people can't afford to, to go anywhere else. It's very depressing and distressing to see. Mm. And in that in the climate, are you having trouble getting, say, people coming in off the street and wanting help? Uh, are you having trouble finding places for them? Um, I mean, finding housing for people is always tough. HAG's not set up to be a, a crisis housing service, so we're generally not seeing people who are just coming in off the street um, you know, we're working with people, older people who uh, probably are in private rental or some other sort of, you know, temporary, well, some sort of housing situation that, that's not going to last where there is a risk that they could become homeless. And we're trying to find housing for them before it reaches that crisis point. Um, but yeah, that, that just gets tougher all the time as well. Mm. And that crisis point's coming, of course, because rents are going up all the time now. We've seen reports about the, the incredible amounts they've gone up in the last 12 months. Um, so, and in last night's program did make that point that a lot of people got to the stage where they simply couldn't afford the increased rent, and but then, but then, of course, they've got to go and try and find something else in a difficult market. Well, exactly. It's just a, a set of bad bad options. Yeah. What I find interesting is that the the landlords say, well, rent increases are are in line with market forces. They let the market determine it. But if the if in the market people can't afford the rents, then is there some problem there between market and reality? Is there some problem with the market? I, I, surely not. <laughs> I knew you'd be stunned to even hear that, Shane. But <laughs> yeah, what an outrageous thought. But it it does seem that um, you know, that market forces, uh, to put it to put it crudely, are not working at all in this area. If if, if that's what market forces are supposed to be. I mean, market forces have never really worked for housing. You know, arguably there are some commodities where it kind of does work out, but housing is just massively expensive and it's never been effective in this country to to rely on the market to provide decent housing for people. Mm. The period where it worked relatively well was where we had a robust public housing system um, to, you know, to, to alleviate pressure on the market and to give people other options that are sort of relatively decommodified. Um, but that's not what we have now. 
And indeed, governments, both state and federal, um, the solutions they keep coming up with all are to do with the private sector and the market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the solutions for older people are supposed to be retirement villages because these aren't predatory, exploitative institutions that, that you know, prey on the elderly. It's absolutely outrageous. Mm. On that, um, I know I know residential places are not part of Housing with Ages Action Group's um, uh, area, but but nonetheless, um, I just want to raise one with you. A, a, a woman who a woman contacted me last week, who was part of the original group that formed this program, actually many years ago, the People's Committee for Melbourne, a couple of decades or more ago, um, and an old colleague of ours, a bloke who in fact came in when he was homeless a few years ago, stayed in my front room for a few months. Um, he's now in one of these residential places where they take 75% of his pension um, per week but then take other charges, so he's virtually ended up with no money. And he he wants to live a life. He wants to be able to go out. He wants to be able to spend money. But he in there, he's sort of locked in. But he turned up at her place um, and ended up... She, she put him in somewhere and he spent the night there. But because they had her number, uh, because she visited him and they had her contact, uh, next morning the coppers came knocking on her door and, and so did the the place itself, the residential place. And I just comment on that about, because what seems to be the problem there is not just that he's got no money and he wants a better life, but also that what about his privacy, his right to go out, his right to do things and live a normal life without them... Uh, setting the coppers on him, for instance. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? The, um, I mean, I guess I have a few different things that I'd say about that. And one, you know, you kind of uh, preempted this, but HAG, this isn't something that HAG deals with. We don't assist people uh, with residential care and things like that. So if you or, or someone you know needs advice about their rights in relation to residential care in Victoria, uh, the best place to, to call is Elder Rights Advocacy, uh, I'll give out their number. Uh, it's one eight hundred seven hundred six hundred. I'll maybe give that out again at the yeah, end. We'll repeat at the end. Yeah. Number. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, so that's that's where you need to go if you want to get advice about your rights, about your options, about things like that. Um, the second thing that I would say is, is the cops come to your door, don't answer their questions. Yeah. I mean, if the cops come because they want to take away your house guest, then uh, I think you've got no comment. Hmm. Well, they did go away. She explained what was happening, and they did leave. In fact, um, but nonetheless, they you know coppers turned up. Obviously, at the behest of this residential place. Yeah, it's outrageous, isn't it? Like, what did they propose to arrest him? What was their what was their role or involvement? I'm stuffed if I know. I mean, we might argue they were concerned about his welfare or something, but but uh, it, it seems to me that they they're impo- imposing on his right to have a normal social life. Yeah, I've got. I mean, I've got no idea. I don't know why the police would involve themselves in a situation like that. It mm. doesn't really seem appropriate, you know, even by the the standards of the Victorian police, does it? Yeah. Plus, of course, I mean, it's also a problem, of course, that that people who are you know not much more than the pension, um, when they take out seventy five percent plus, they're hitting you with other charges through the week. You end up with effectively no money to uh, to do anything outside. You just sit there and vegetate or something. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's lots of different models. I mean, that that happens as well outside of residential care settings. There's a, a kind of housing model called a rental village that some older people live in, uh, where they take 80% of your pension 
And for that, you get uh, a small unit with no kitchen. Uh, meals are provided to you. But that's 80% of your pension. So, as you say, no money left over. By definition, the residents are still quite independent. Uh, I would have some... I mean, the, the Victorian government introduced rental minimum standards a few years ago, which we've talked about uh, on this show a few times, and that does include providing a kitchen, providing a, a certain number of hot plates and things like that. So I think there's a good chance that some of these rental villages are in breach of the rental minimum standards. And if anyone's listening and you're in one of those rental villages, then uh, I would love to talk to you because I think we would be happy to try and get some orders and show that these places are required to provide those facilities. All right, and, and what that number again for the... Um... Oh, yeah, for Elder Rights Advocacy, that's 1-800-700-600. Right. Uh, you can also Google Elder Rights Advocacy and find some more information. Yeah, yeah, and I, I there was an article again this week um, speaking of, you know, the, the new tenancy rights laws, etc., where, where landlords were yet again complaining that... Uh, it's making life much more difficult for them because of new regulations that uh, that are making that are, that make it very difficult for them to make a quid. So um, you must feel pretty responsible for that. I mean, there's absolutely nothing in the the new regulations that make it harder for landlords to make money. There's absolutely nothing that restricts them from our, our, the outrageous rent increases that we've seen over the last year or more. The the idea that the the rental laws are preventing landlords from making money is, is just absolute propaganda and delusion <laughs> really <laughs> yes it is um it is pretty incredible isn't it but they uh, they keep one, one bloke last night uh, was complaining and yet he he actually has he had 12 investment properties but yeah. he was complaining about costs and things and how difficult it was look if he wants to get rid of some of those investment properties uh he's welcome to swing one my way I'm sure, I'm sure there's plenty of people around Hag who'd be happy to help him out as well. Oh, good. Well, that's right. Yeah. That, if, he will, if he wanted to live in one of them himself, I suppose that's 11 properties that could be made available for people who desperately need it. Absolutely. Yeah, and he wouldn't have to go through the trauma of um, the problems he talked about last night. You've got to sympathise. We've got to we've got to help him out with this, Fonto. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Make him feel better. <laughs> All right. So, anything else um, on on your agenda that we need to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. Just the usual stuff at Hag. Um, if people, if listeners want to get involved, find out more, you can give us a call on nine six five four seven three eight nine, or check out our show, which is on the second and fourth. Second and fourth Wednesday of every month here on 3CR at 5:30 p.m. Okay, and that, that hag number again for people. Who... Yeah, nine six five four seven three eight nine. Okay, mate. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next month. But thanks, Shane, for uh, your time. Thanks, Kevin. Bye. Okay, thanks a lot, Shane McGrath. There, who's the um, who's with the Housing for the Aged Action Group, and uh, here we are. We're going to come back shortly, and Karina, um, we're going to be talking to. We're going to be talking to Catherine Murdoch and Jack Verdens, public housing advocates, about a green Zoom meet, um, about Labor's disastrous housing um, policy plan. So I think I think Jack attended that last mm. week. 
uh, as well as a couple of other things around town. I've just had an awful thought. I might not have done this, but I've got a feeling I may have, when I mentioned Catherine earlier in the program, I might have said Catherine Hayward and not Murdoch. I may have said Murdoch, but I, I do know a woman called Catherine Hayward and I may have said her name. But anyway, uh, whatever, Catherine Murdoch's going to be on. You know what, if we can rely on you for anything, Kevin, it's transparency. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. I'm not sure what I said now. <laughs> Perhaps I'm never sure what I say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I might pop this song on. This one is an old one from the Nicaraguan Revolution teaching people how to unload shotguns. Yeah, and I'll give these two a call and we'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. Metralla de bello estilo, de 20 tiros su magazine. Se aprieta el gatillo ladra, que a cuatro cuadras su alcance da. Y a cinco cuadras completas, una avioneta se puede apiar. ¿Qué es el fal? Preguntó una vez Juan Lindo. Le contestó Gumercindo con acento popular. Compa Juan. ¿Qué hubo la compita? Este animal tira todo. Si le agarra bien el modo, con usted va a charchagar. Para empezar la tarea, va para afuera su magazín. Y ahora lo cajonero, que no se quede ni un proyectil. Claro. Machistas nunca seremos, pero tendremos que proceder. Quitando el tornillo macho, el otro que hace de la mujer. ¿Qué es el fal? Preguntó una vez Juan Lindo, le contestó Gumercindo con acento popular. Compa Juan, pasó, compa? este animal tira todo, si le agarra bien el modo, con usted va a charchalear. Quebramos el arma ahora, llegó la hora de separar. La laminita del cierre, la masa viene saliendo ya. Retiramos la cubierta y así logramos de sopetón Poner a un lado este asunto y aparte el conjunto del cañón ¿Qué es el fal? Preguntó una vez Juan Lindo Le contestó Gumercindo con acento popular Compa ¿Qué pasó compita? Este animal tira todo Si le agarra bien el modo con usted va a charchalear Cuando el tapón de los... That was Guess El Fal by Carlos Mejia Godoy. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. This is City Limits. Um, on the line, we have Catherine Murdoch and Jack Verdens, public housing advocates, uh, here to talk to us about a few things. First up on the agenda today, um, Barrack Beacon Estate in Port Melbourne. Good morning. Thank you again for having us with you this morning. Yes, Save Barrack Beacon Estate. Um, what's happening there is they have revved up the plans for demolition. Um, there's 89 properties on site. They've moved it up to March 31st. It's part of the big build. 
and um, Margaret Kelly, there's a Facebook group. There have been actions there, but essentially, you know, the impact... As soon as the government announces that and notifies tenants about relocations, and that happened on December 21st, looking at the life-threatening health events that tenants can then experience, you know, becoming housebound as well, fit older people, ageing, becoming confused, looking at the, you know, the significant impact two years ago that that had for people or just over a year ago and then now moving up the demolition plans. They're saying as part of the big build there'll be social housing, construction jobs, affordable homes and market rental properties but those people are not guaranteed of housing and, you know, in this hideous ongoing process sometimes have to accept properties that aren't suitable, that they will not be happy in because they're terrified of becoming homeless. Catherine, just exactly where is it? So the Barrack Beacon Estate, that's a really good point, is at um, Port Melbourne. So you would know those, um, they're in a really prime location and um, most of them are, you know, they're multiple storey residences. They're like walk-ups, isn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. But a better, a more modern, a nicer version of a walk-up. I think we had a protest there many years ago over some issue at the time where I played the real estate agent at some event there and uh, we set the whole thing up mercilessly at the time. But whatever, yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, I do remember last time we were covering this, um, the, there, were, there were kind of two things that I remember noting. One, that... There was a really big sense of community amongst residents, really mm. big, um, lots of lots of caring for each other, lots of kind of communal spaces and gardens and things like that, um, not the strange kind of artificial quote-unquote community house version, but a nice kind of organic community. Mm. Um, and the other part was that, that December notices uh, when when they were told that they were getting evicted, I do remember it a big um, part of that was being kept in the dark about a lot. Like people were confused, people didn't know where they were going and it sounds to me like it might be much the same still. Absolutely. Um, You know, they're in the stage like um, people's um, homes are being cleared out. Um, You know, some of those people have accepted somewhere to go to in the interim but there's no guarantee Um, or as I said they're not um, happy about where they're going to and you know Margaret shared a post just recently on the research the scientific evidence the research into the psychological the physical the mental impact an announcement like that has on people so the reduction in the quality of life and what they've been experiencing since that announcement i think it was two weeks ago there was an action down there um but there's an e-petition up at the moment with today being the 15th of august and um them bringing up everyone needing to be out by March the 31st. And what happens, of course, so often in those cases is people are moved out of the area where they've had their roots for so long. And so those very points you're talking about, um, 
you know, uh, arise because they're in an area where they, they don't know anybody and they, they don't feel at home there. Absolutely. It's that, you know, it's the community connection, the care for each other, the fact that somebody who's living on their own has people around them that they know. We, you know, as happens um, in older um, residential public housing as well, we keep an eye on each other. Um, you know, we can support each other, people that don't have have family, um, etc. And, yeah, it's devastating. It impacts on their quality of life all through that time and then their future quality of life. Um, it's just devastating, and especially given the financial hardship that anyone living on a pension or a Centrelink income is experiencing at the moment. And also that, that kind of dispossession springs to mind in terms of things like jobs, public transport, accessibility, um, mm. even if you weren't, mm. even if you were still with, you know, your people, uh, it, it's, it hugely changes someone's life to not, to not be in a place that has access to jobs or has access to, you know, cheap food or... I just looked mm. it up as well. It's on the Boulevard and Barrack Road mm. in Port Melbourne. So it is, it does seem to be like the kind of primo real estate that uh, that a big build project would want to be on because it's quite close to the oh, beach yes. as well. The land's worth trillions. That's why, that's why it's happening. That's it. Yeah. Um, I believe we also wanted to discuss uh, Labor's housing policy as well. Um, Jack. That shouldn't take long. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, uh, take the walk of shame. Um, uh, I think a, a number of us would have heard the, the Labor announcement while putting forward um, $10 billion towards social and affordable housing, whatever that may, may mean, uh, to produce 30,000 properties, I think it was over five years. Um and in the meantime, the Greens have got a study of them. They're publicly um, saying this in their federal policy that the, the national need, this is a national policy, um, is something in the five to 600,000 properties. And, and this magnificent policy was announced to do 30,000 properties, which is, does even match the growth over five years. So there are over five years, the amount of the extra need is about 75,000. They're only putting in 30,000 holes. So basically it's a non-policy non, um, uh, anyway. And then lo and behold, we now find out the detail of it. They're not actually putting putting forward $10 billion. It, it, that's going into a thing called the Housing Australia Future Fund. Um, so it's an investment. And mm. it's an and apparently if, if, if they had done this investment last year, that fund would have actually lost one one point two percent. So, so you know, hey, you know, so they're basically risking uh, the policy of the stock market. I guess they're hoping, you know, if you made ten percent a year, you'd be having getting a billion dollars um, to go and do three thousand properties a year or whatever they want. But it's, so it's a non-policy, not even. Um, the money is not even going there. It's only the returns on the share market gamble that they're going to do, or whatever they go and invest their their money. Oh, and it, and the, it also caps out if they make more, 
heaven's help us, um, they, they will only spend $500 million of that per year. So it's a $500 million a year policy for five years. And no public housing. And well, absolutely well, not. Well, what we'd call public housing anyway. It, well, well, the thing is, it, it, it's housing that will not take in people at the front of the housing waiting list. Mm-hmm. And look, honestly, it must be quite scary because um, I'm not in that position, but that you can become homeless tomorrow if you're a renter. And because landlords are also selling up, they were selling up to cash in, especially in regional areas where they had experienced astounding growth. But they're also mum and dad type in landlord investors. They have their one investment property. And they're finding it tough because their mortgage is elsewhere. And so they go, it's all too much for me. I'm going to sell my one rental property. Well, whoever's renting that has to find another rental immediately, you know, within after the sale. Um, you can't stop a sale going ahead. And so they all hit the uh, rental market and... It, it was reported in the news the other day, I think the vacancy rate is 1.5%, but it's normally sort of 3 4 5% of properties are vacant. So basically, if, if you find yourself uh, with your house sold under your feet, and even if you've got the money, you can't find a rental. So right, it's, it's not just that, that's right. It's, it's also the fact that Rents are going up so much that people just can no longer afford the yeah. rent, but then they've yeah. got to find somewhere else. That it's, it's a vicious yeah. circle. There was, yeah. I don't know if you saw it the last night on Insight. There was one bloke there who's in that position where his rent's gone up, so he can't afford it. But once he's evicted, he said he has no idea where he's going to go. What he's going yeah, to do? Yeah, that's the point I made. You made it much more succinctly for me. Once you're evicted, you don't know where you're going to go. Yeah. So. What happens, to, what happens to the people at the front of the housing waiting list? They, they're waiting even longer. Um, and because there's other people who are getting into this so-called uh, social, which is actually community housing, privatised model. Um, so basically, though, you know, when you look at 30,000 properties against a, a 600,000 property need, Labor has abdicated from any form of subsidised housing. Any any policy at all, so they just and there's no way in knowing that they can hope it's going to go away. So, oh you know, let's yell out loud and clear. What are you doing about it? And I'm really hoping that the Greens, who do you know, with, with a number of other parties, hold the balance of power, both in Victoria and also at federal level, at the, in the upper house, can start calling this this uh, humanitarian crisis out because I think it's it's becoming a humanitarian crisis. Um, and the other thing that gets me is, you know, this what's, you know, there is no definition within Labor's policy of affordable. It's interesting and that you bring that up, Jack. Actually, I was I was just wondering about that as well. So yeah. there, like, as per, there's no definition of of, of affordable, and yeah. it's interesting this ten ten billion into the fund number as well because I yeah. also noticed that last year renters paid an extra five billion in rent. And this coming year, that will double to ten billion. Yeah, so it's yeah. renters that are copying it the exact same amount that the government is supposedly <laughs> investing into it, right? Yeah. So yeah, net 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 returns. You know, it's just that it's just not, not, nothing's moving anywhere, mm. and and people are 
people who are ending up on the street and getting help through friends or whatever means they can. And by the way, if you are on the housing waiting list and they find out that you, you have a roof under your head, that is a, is a reasonably permanent arrangement, then you won't get an offer. Uh, and that, you know, it may be a permanent arrangement on someone's couch, but you won't get an offer if they find out about it. So, um, and look, I guess if you're a bureaucrat you know, managing that waiting list, I guess they've got to prioritise it somehow. Um, but it's just a, it's just a, a massively, totally sad humanitarian crisis. And then in the meantime, they have the gall to talk about affordable housing, which to the public means, um, oh, I'm struggling to buy a home. Well, hang on, I'm struggling to even get a roof. Isn't that even more important? Mm. You know, and they're going around saying I'm struggling to buy a home. So, heaven's help me. Well, affordability is relative. I mean, to the, to affordability to that bloke last night who could be end up homeless once he's evicted and affordability to Gina Reinhardt, for instance, are two quite different things. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah, exactly that's right. right. And I watched that program, Kevin, and I had to turn it off halfway through because it was just heartbreaking. Single mums, you know, people that have never... Um, experienced real financial hardship before and now hanging on by a thread. A whole new group of people hanging on by a thread and once again the impact of that stress, that financial pressure, that uncertainty, living with that day to day. Um, And then as Jack was saying, you know, the waiting list the waiting list that isn't even being um, addressed or what happens to you when you're on that waiting list. So, for example, I went on to a waiting list in 2016 and then because I was deemed to be suitably housed in a rooming house that was taking over 50% of my income, they removed me from the waiting list. And the fact is that none of us, no matter how well we know the system, can navigate it alone. You know, you need a support worker. You need someone to fight the unjust system and to get through it to have even a chance of of getting back on that list or of being placed in public housing. Yeah, that's, that's a great example, Catherine, because, you know, you're, so, you're, you're in a... 50% of your income, rooming house or whatever, it's good enough to kick you off the waiting list. Um, uh, heaven's office. And now, we've actually got a friend, uh, I won't mention her name, but she she was on a waiting list, has been on a waiting list since 2013 um, for specialised housing because of disability. And it's... So, What's 2013 from 23? Eight years? Ten. Ten. Ten years? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, 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 and so, and it's a litany of, this is actually with, within the community housing system, believe it or not, so I guess this, this person is, has a you know, slightly higher income to be able to, you know, for them to have, have, that, have them there. But um, in the meantime... Community and this, I'll have a go at community housing here. Just 
They're a law unto themselves. They just changed the rules about that waiting. That's one of the reasons why the 10 years happened. And go, oh, no, um, the stock that we have that you're waiting for is specific to your um, disability or whatever. Oh, we're, we're now making a role for anyone and everyone. And hang on, uh, so you've got to wait either longer or, or uh, oh, sorry, we, we lost your name on the list, so we're just going to put you to the back. Happened as well. And so, you know, like, um, stop this social housing nonsense, which is community housing. They, they are a law unto themselves that are not delivering what people need, you know, which is public housing. And you... You see, I can't believe the amount of inquiries I've now seen into this area over the last three, four, five years. And a lot of them have been around regulating community housing. I guess who are the main, mm. main um, uh, contributors to those inquiries is the Community Housing Industry Association and every one of their businesses. And, and like you know, earlier on in the program, we talked about gambling. <laughs> and... Same thing. So, you know, we, we know that gambling is, is a blight on society and, 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 you know, ruining people's lives. And so a lot of it's been in the news lately. And in the meantime, the, in New South Wales, they're saying, oh, we need another inquiry instead of legislating it or stopping it. And, and guess what? It's because the industry associations are busy lobbying to, uh, to always have these inquiries that it stops anyone actually regulating them or doing anything about them. That's right. So Clubs Australia uh, has stopped any, any action on gambling. So, Jack, we've only got a few minutes left, but I did yeah. want to. I did want to mention also, like, thank you both because actually these human stories and human lives are quite important to discuss because public housing makes a difference to both of those things. And I wanted to note also that. Public housing is not inherently dysfunctional despite the fact that the government or um, the greater media does uh, like to label it as such. Well-funded public housing with other well-resourced government services, for example, mental health services, um, is completely functional and changes people's lives. And um, that's kind of the bottom line really here. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add in the last in about minute? Ten seconds. <laughs> in the last minute, to make sure that people save Barrack Beacon Estate e petition signed, any um, any actions are fully supported. A Geelong Housing Action Group Wednesday the fifteenth tonight, six thirty at Trades Hall. People can have a voice and in get involved. Defend and extend public housing Thursday the sixteenth. 12 to 1 on the steps of Parliament. But I think everyone should be writing to their local um, MP and really starting to ride Labor because if this isn't fixed now, it's unforeseeable about what the disaster will okay, be. It's ticked over to 10 o'clock. We've got to go because Joe's in the next <laughs> studio. But thanks, thanks, Catherine, and thanks, Jack, for your time. And we'll talk to you next month. Thank you both so Thank much. Thank you. <laughs> Stay tuned in to 3CR Community Radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.